Support for On Being with Krista Tippett comes from the Fetzer Institute, helping build the spiritual foundation for a loving world. Fetzer envisions a world that embraces love as a guiding principle and animating force for our lives, a powerful love that helps us live in sacred relationship with ourselves, others, and the natural world. Learn more by visiting Fetzer.org. Galen Lee's voice and violin land like a bomb, an offering of both clarity and gladness that can still be mustered in this midwinter, this upended Christmas season. She first came to the attention of many when she won NPR Music's Tiny Desk Contest in 2016. She's now toured in 45 states and nine countries and recorded four albums. through the world in an electric wheelchair. And she holds her violin like a cello and her bow as if she were playing a bass, the way she and an ingenious teacher discovered to enable her to play at all. She first fell in love with the cello when she was in fourth grade, but because of the disability she was born with that gives her tiny and, as she says, bendy limbs, she couldn't navigate even the smallest violin in the ordinary way. So much of what she's learned through life in her body lands as wisdom right now. What makes you think that you'll ever get there? What makes you think you deserve to know? Who are you really? Are you so important? Take a look around and watch the world unfold. Watch the I'm Krista Tippett, and this is On Being. Galen Lee was born and raised and lives in Duluth, Minnesota. Her latest album is The Living Room Sessions, recorded from her home in 2020. Here we are speaking in our, our pandemic year, in our pandemic winter. Um, I'm in my, what my colleagues call my recording cave, in my... Basement den in my house. Where are you? I'm in our, we have a studio apartment, so it's really just one room. So I kind of set up a makeshift recording area in front of our big window. Like it's such a tiny apartment, but behind a big red leather chair that we sit in at night and right next to the bed. <laughs> so it's a, <laughs> it's all one thing you can see if you were looking yeah. at it. You can see our kitchen <laughs> table behind me. Right. Okay. So... You grew up with a lot of music in the world around you, it sounds like. It sounds like very cool to have a family dinner theater. Yeah, <laughs> I forgot. I mean, like, it's one of those things where you don't really think about how it's cool at the time. And then when you become an adult, you're like, oh, that was really neat. Um, yeah, my parents were musical even before that. They actually met in a musical 
And oh. so that's always been a part of our lives. And then around the, when I was 10, my mom decided, like kind of spontaneously, that she wanted to open a dinner theater. And my dad went along with it. And they did that for 20 years. So it's a really big part of my growing up. Hmm. So you were born with this brittle bone disease, osteogenesis imperfecta. Is that yep. right? Yep. Which means, and just I want to make sure I've got this right, that it caused your bones to break in utero, right? So that while you're in the womb. Yeah, basically it's a genetic disorder mm-hmm. of the collagen. And so even now my bones are more fragile, but in the way that it manifested for me, it's very, they can look really different depending on the individual. For me, I did break probably 30 or 40 or 50. They don't even actually know because x-rays and ultrasounds were pretty bad back then. Um, mm-hmm. But um, I broke a lot in utero. And then growing up, I broke, I think I've broken like 16 bones since I was born. But yeah, the vast majority happened before I was born. Mm. Um, I was also thinking... Well, I was thinking of um, a conversation with an anthropologist, Mary Catherine Bateson, who talks about composing a life, which is kind of akin to the musical, you know, the improvisational nature of life and improvisation being being a virtue in a musical life as well. And then in some ways you've like that virtue of music has has worked with the virtues you acquired in, again, like being in your body and leading the life that is yours. Yeah, I, that's a good way to put it, composing a life. Um, yeah, I mean, I think uh, disability, a big gift of that is innovation and rethinking how things are done. And I mean, a lot of people with disabilities, I think, have done that in their own lives. And one thing I'm grateful for, and I don't really know, I mean, maybe it's my parents or things I've read over the years, but I do really feel that you have the responsibility to kind of shape your life as much as you can to fit not just you, but like, I mean, the broader sense of where you contribute and stuff. And so um, my life has been transformed and retransformed a lot of different times. Um, Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that won't stop. But I think it's a really fun part of being alive is that you can kind of create, I mean, and I know I'm coming from a privileged place in terms of support and stuff, but I do think that humans are inherently creative and you can work with all sorts of situations. Like I'm actually, I know this sounds terrible, but I've had a really fun time figuring out how to adapt to the pandemic. Mm. And I, although the pandemic itself is terrible and I know that a lot of people are suffering, like from a creative standpoint of, well, how do I make art now? That part has actually been pretty invigorating to Mm. me, but that's because I think if you see your whole life is like, yeah, how do you create in the moment something that works, then a lot of different situations can lead to something kind of like a positive outcome or at least not be a wasted time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's been a few months during this pandemic that I've been pretty depressed. So I'm not saying that I get up every day at like eight o'clock and make a ton of music or whatever. But in general, I don't feel like there's ever a lack of stuff you can learn or create. And I think being a creative is an asset. I wish that all people were encouraged to be creative. That's a big thing with like my teacher encouraging me because it does give you this like skill set that helps you cope in weird times like this, you know? Yeah. 
So, I mean, you're a Minnesota girl. You're a yes. northern Minnesota girl. Yes. And I have to say, like, the very first thing I heard of your music was you playing the fiddle. And I, I, I assumed, and I've spent a lot of time in that part of the world, and I assume that you were Irish and you were then an Irish transplant to Minnesota. Um, so, I, but it's not something you grew up with, I don't think, from what I can tell. Um, I actually first discovered the fiddle in Scotland, and, and as, as, uh. as you know, which, but even though Scottish and Irish fiddle sound very much alike, they're also very different in their way. Yeah. Um, but I've always felt like, as much as any other music, the fiddle, well, Celtic music in particular, but the fiddle in particular, really, like, it holds pain and joy all at the same time. It carries this sadness, this old sadness that is yeah. ongoing, but it also carries right with it this possibility of something big enough to meet that sadness. Or, like, that's the way I would say it. Um, yeah. There's something that is very moving about fiddle music and it's maybe there were fiddle tunes that weren't moving when they were first made but those aren't the ones that we have today because they're hundreds of years old and we have kept the ones that touch us as people right and like one of my favorite things to do when I'm playing a fiddle tune is to think back on all the different people who have played it before me Mm. and I'll never even know who they are right but they might be like a civil war soldier or a dude in Ireland from like the 1700s and like it's just so cool to think about how that music has just been passed down um, but yeah it is bittersweet I, I, I just love especially Celtic music although Scandinavian fiddle I've been introduced a little bit to that and that is it has a darker tone a lot of the time but but it's also very beautiful uh, the traditional music is just pretty cool I'm Krista Tippett, and this is On Being, today with violinist and singer-songwriter Galen Lee. We're in December as we speak. Um, yeah. It's around Christmas, and... Um, it's a strange Christmas, you know, like every every milestone in this year is, you know, graduations didn't happen and state yeah. fairs didn't happen and Broadway is shut down and, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas are up in the air. And um, one day we will we will rebroadcast this conversation and we will cut this part out because we will, we will be in a different chapter of our life as a species. Yeah. But I am I am curious about um, what's Christmas for you this year in 2020. How are you going to spend that? Yeah. Um, well, you know, I have tiny lungs, so I really don't want to get coronavirus. So I've been really locked down since March. Um, like, don't go to stores. I mean, I've had to, we had to put our dog down in June and I had to go to the doctor twice. But beyond that, I haven't mm-hmm. been inside really anywhere since March. Um, mm-hmm. And I also don't want to spread it to people with disabilities because people in group homes 
are like more likely to die of coronavirus than almost anyone in the country, basically. So it's, I mean, I don't want to spread it to anyone, but I think that that's, I don't want to impact other people negatively. So we've been locked down, but I will say that about two weeks ago, because my parents are just as locked down as us, and they're the only people in our lives that are as locked down as us, um, we decided to form a little four-person pod, my husband and I and my parents. And so, you know, we're going to cook a dinner together and Zoom on Christmas Day with the rest of my family and... I don't know. I love Christmas. I had a Christmas album of live looped Christmas yes. carols. Yes, I am you obsessed. Do. Yeah. I love Christmas music and I really love the holidays. For some reason, I am um, like Thanksgiving to Christmas is like my favorite month of the year. So I've really been trying to just focus on the like the stillness of this year, like Advent is right now. And yeah. I yeah. draw from a lot of different faiths, but I've been reading some Advent devotionals and like this idea of stillness and waiting is very poignant this year, I would say. extend the spirit of the season of Advent into these next few months because we've yeah. got, it's like the world is going to shift again, but it's not going to happen yet. Um, uh-uh. It's actually really energizing to speak to you and for you to talk about how you've actually had a flourishing of creativity and, you know, you are in good spirits, obviously, and you're even excited about Christmas. But as you said, I mean, you did mention this before, you You've had rough days also. You've written about that on your blog in 2020. Mm -hmm. um, You wrote at one point about this feeling of dread um, and how you had to kind of welcome dread. And you wrote something that I just want to read back because it's very beautiful and helpful. And so, again, this was out of you being in lockdown and then also reflecting on other hard passages in your life that also, you know, formed you. And I think that's also true of a time like this, that a time of loss that our other, the other losses of our life and the other traumas of our life come back to us a bit. So anyway, you wrote this, the saying goes, love your neighbor as yourself. But I would challenge you to reverse that saying for a moment. Love yourself as your neighbor. If you saw another person hurting, you'd want them to get the care they need, right? Well, you are that person today. You are absolutely worthy of care. Please reach out when life feels too difficult to bear. Hang on another day so you can eventually find yourself in a better place and come to know your reason to keep living. Yeah. So I deal with anxiety and depression at different times. You know, sometimes they are less prevalent and sometimes they're more. And when I wrote that particular blog, it was you know, a pretty challenging part of this pandemic for me. And I think, especially in a time where there's so many people hurting in the world, it's easy to just kind of just get overwhelmed and maybe paralyzed or frozen 
instead mm-hmm. of thinking like, well, what care do I need right now? What is something I could do to help myself? But I think a lot of people, and myself included sometimes, don't, you always see like other people suffering and not really acknowledge that you also can do something about your own without being like a selfish or bad person. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And that you are worthy of getting the care that you need. You know, the beginning of the pandemic, and then again, a couple months ago, we're both really hard because um, yeah, at the beginning of it, I was just kind of overwhelmed and depressed, but it hadn't really come to northern Minnesota yet, you know, like yeah, nobody yeah. we knew was sick. Yeah, it's but come all this slowly stuff, to Minnesota. Yeah, and all this stuff changed, um, like our lives changed. I mean, I had to leave. Mm-hmm. We drove home from a tour. We were on our way to do, obviously. And and I don't know, something about just the not knowing the future and reading the predictions of what could happen um, were just, it was a lot to take on. So at that point, I got counseling online, which really helped. Um, I mean, it really helps. I wish... Mm-hmm. I wish that we had national health care so that everybody could just go. But there are some places like BetterHelp and stuff where you can get it for less. Um, but it's important. It was so important to do that if you need it. And just try to give myself some slack. Somebody said something that really helped me around that time that I wrote the blog. They said 150 years ago, Basically, the goal of life was just not to die. <laughs> like, the goal of life was just to exist uh, till another day. And we've added a lot of other kinds of commitments and, like, expectations. Of expectation on top yeah. of that. Yeah. And she's like, I don't, I think right now I'm just going to focus on staying alive. And I was like, wow, that actually really helped me to, like, kind of yeah. let go of some of the feeling of not only is there a pandemic but I'm failing at everything too you know what I mean like that yeah that wasn't helpful and then a couple months ago it is it has been really difficult and I'm not going to downplay like as a person with a disability not just for myself but for the community how frustrating it's been that people haven't been following the rules in the way that they should you know wearing the masks and really not having parties and you know what I mean? Like that kind of thing. So it's been a lesson spiritually for sure in just having to accept what is and focus on what I am doing. And I mean, speaking out when I can, of course, but basically Mm -hmm. like being a totally angry person isn't going to help the world. You know what I mean? And so having to try to let go of some of that frustration and pain and disappointment, I guess, is a big word for that. Mm -hmm. That's been like the other challenge of this pandemic for me. I think people think of disability as negative or something that they wouldn't want. But I I actually really think it's a really valid way to exist. And not only can it create like different art, like my music is informed by my disability, but it can create different ways of seeing the world. And I just personally... Other people have gone through far more terrible periods of history than this. I mean, we have the internet. Um, I mean, I know. It's hard to imagine all that's been possible. I mean, these concerts that you've broadcast out. Yeah, I think what 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 I mean is like I think because disability is always reimagining or living outside the box. This particular time, it's been like, well, of course I'll stay home. But I mean, again, I can't control what other people do. So I've been really trying, especially at the holidays, to just 
realize that, um, <laughs> you know, when Jesus was dying, he's like, forgive them. They know not what they do. It's mm-hmm. kind of that idea of like, people aren't trying, I don't think, to really wreak havoc on the world. Mm. I worked really hard in July to get a mask mandate in Duluth, and I'm glad that that mm. ended up happening. Did that happen? Yeah. Yep, it did. And and I mean, it wasn't like I was the only person working on it, but I definitely had a voice in that discussion. So I feel like the things that you can do, you should do. I was like, you know, I'm home. I have time. I'm going to work on this issue because I think it's important. And it felt good to see a change happen. Yeah. And I'm trying to focus on the positive stuff that I can do in the community rather than getting too bogged down with watching people make decisions that I don't agree with, you know? Mm-hmm. Or that feel personally dangerous to you. Well, I mean, yeah. There is a yeah. fine point on that, right? Um, mm-hmm. But I, it's like really inner work that you're doing. Yeah. To know the validity of that feeling you have and the reality of the danger and also make that decision not to assume that they mean it that way. It's um that's real internal labor, but it's also part of your internal freedom that you're owning, right? Yeah, that's the thing is it's like I think this time is more than just metaphorical, like an, a point where we can choose to really learn from this time. And I I really want to do that. Like, I'd want to emerge from this situation not like a bitter or disillusioned person, you know? And mm-hmm. I think that at least right now that I will come out of it that way. But that's because, yeah, it takes a lot of inner reflection and, you know, like the whole idea of not judging other people lest people judge you right so i don't know jesus said love your enemies he wasn't kidding about that part you know so (laughs) that's that's not very easy but it's definitely actually what we're supposed to be doing in the christian context and there's probably similar verses in every other faith too the idea that you you love people that hurt you even though they hurt you that's what this is talking about not like in times of plenty it's like right now is the time where that's important a short break more with Galen Lee On Being is brought to you by the John Templeton Foundation harnessing the power of the sciences to explore the deepest and most perplexing questions facing humankind learn about the latest discoveries in the study of forgiveness generosity and free will at templeton.org Ha! 
water like a stone. Krista Tippett, and this is On Being, today partaking of the voice and violin of Galen Lee. She became known to many when she won NPR Music's Tiny Desk Contest in 2016. She moves through the world in an electric wheelchair and plays the violin like it's a cello because she was born with osteogenesis imperfecta, a disease that makes bones more breakable both in utero and across life. you reflect on disability and also um, work for disability rights and I don't know I'd say like disability kinship also with like human kinship and something that I feel is like that you've pointed out that this is not something so unusual if you look at it in the large sweep of things that nearly one in five people in America has a disability 19% but also at a deeper level what you're talking about are like we all are imperfect, suffering, wounded, you know, different in some ways. It just doesn't always show on the outside of our bodies, right? Like that 19% is things that maybe show on the outside of your bodies or show up in certain ways. Yes. I, I think that all, again, I see disability as just a form of diversity, like a spectrum and and it comes and it changes throughout your life, right? Like I'm, I'll probably be less able-bodied or whatever um, yeah. when I'm 84 than I am now, right? And so yeah. and so will on, I, and so will everyone, right? And yeah. so if you make it that long, you're not going to be the same person that you were when you were 30 in terms of your physical form. Mm-hmm. And um, I just think that if you see disability as entirely natural and not, I think what it is to me is that we call certain things disabilities or diseases or whatever, but we all, I mean, I just don't see it as like a compartmentalized thing. I think we're all just humans and we've labeled certain things and that disability is entirely a natural part of like every single person's life. They just don't identify with it. And when you do touch the idea that, you're immortal and that you need support or that like it's okay to ask for help or that it's okay to rethink things or you don't have to follow the crowd and do it the same way. There's a lot of things that being disabled has made visible to me, but literally apply to everyone. Like I did a Ted talk on sexuality once and I said like, you know, some of these revelations I have seem like they're because of disability, but they apply to everyone. And, and anyone can become disabled at any time. And I think yeah. we just don't want to acknowledge maybe our softness or the vulnerability or whatever that comes with disability. But there's also like strength and creativity there too. So I, I wish that we could take away the stigma or the separateness and yeah. just kind of start embracing it as 
a diversity that is like a welcoming, a welcoming club yeah. or something, yeah. you know? So someplace you spoke about, you know, how, yeah, I mean, what you say is like, we're all disabled in the same way that we're all dying. Like, it's just more obvious <laughs> in some lives yes. um, and in certain moments. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, the reality is we're all headed there. And you said, I mean, I thought this was, this was very, like, striking to me, just, you know, getting this into context. You were talking about your husband, Paul, and how it's true that he has to care for you in complex ways, but really in ways that many spouses care for their spouse at different stages of life. Yeah. Um, who, you know, he cares for you in a way that you might expect in, in many marriages for him not have to, to, to care for you when you're older or you've been married longer. But that reality belongs to all of us, just as you're, as you're saying. Yeah. 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 We just sped up by like four decades or something. But um, yeah. And then the thing is, is that that's the thing is, I think we care for each other and his is more physical. Well, his is both, but like he does a lot of physical stuff, but to assume that just because you need physical care that you're not also providing other yeah. care um, yeah. is important to remember. So I, I feel like one thing I would love to see in my lifetime is a linking of older people to understand disability in a way that so it's easier to age. You know, all of my yeah. grandparents have struggled with getting older and being really frustrated with their bodies changing and feeling like a burden and all of these things that you have to deal with as a disabled person and like make peace with to just like have a happy life, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I wish that we talked about this stuff sooner so that when you are older and you suddenly need someone to drive you to the grocery store that you don't like hate your life. There's no reason to, mm. if you see it as a context of just a different part of the human cycle that's just as valuable. I think the biggest thing to remember is that all people are equally valuable and that is true no matter what your stage of life you're in or what your disability is. Right. And so that you don't have to feel bad about needing extra help as you age and stuff or feel or, you know, and that, that creative thing about like, well, how can I do it now rather than oh, I can't do this anymore? You know what I mean? Like yeah. there's just so many lessons that disability and old age could work synchronistically if we could be talking about it more. Yeah. In terms of the shared human condition. And yeah, kind of the the spectrum of the human condition. Yeah. I I did watch that TED talk that you gave, and I, I actually wanted oh, yeah. to talk to you about it. I mean, you actually studied political science in college, right? That uh -huh. was your major. Um, yes. And I think this was a TED talk where you talked about reading Marcuse, the philosopher, on Eros. Yep. And um, I did want to, you know, you had this epiphany that has really been important to how you think about, like, kind of what we were talking about a minute ago, your internal freedom. And often when you talk about yourself as a dis like I think this is on your website, when you talk about yourself as a disability rights advocate, you'll join language like disability rights, um, inner freedom, um, and accessibility in the arts. So so would you tell that story? You said I mean you said this lightning bolt struck your brain when you read this philosopher. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um well so the the philosopher Marcuse was writing about how capitalism had usurped sexuality in the way that they had discovered if, and by they, I guess I mean like the people who sell things, had discovered that if you make people feel inadequate about themselves, like 10 pounds overweight or not wearing cool enough clothes, that they will invest money to reach 
this ideal that has been set by capitalism, right? And um, so you can sell diet pills and different hair products and all sorts of things, magazines, and, and you just make the bar unattainable enough so that people will keep striving after it, right? And never really be satisfied with who they are, so they'll spend tons of money. And that's a very oversimplification of what he wrote about. But that's what I was reading. And I was like, wow, I do not relate to this at all, which was weird. I was like, I mean, I see other people do that. I obviously see people spending money on stuff that they, because they feel not pretty enough or whatever. More complete or more yeah. perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And, but I was like, I just don't feel that way. And I wondered why that was. And it dawned on me that because I look so different, you know, my limbs are bent. I'm in an electric wheelchair. I'm just really small. I don't see myself at all in those magazines. And it would be like laughable to think about trying to look like a model in Cosmopolitan or something like, right. um, because I just look so different that it obviously didn't apply to me. So growing up, you know, that obviously does make you feel left out, you know, friends. Uh, luckily, all of my friends were nerds, so none of us really dated, but people around us were <laughs> right. dating. As a teenager, so, yeah. Yes. But yeah. people, you know, start dating or you kind of start thinking like, oh, maybe I'll never be able to get married because nobody will ever find me attractive. You have those worries, but when I realized that I had this like freedom to just kind of develop into the person I wanted to become without feeling weighed down by these standards uh, that were unattainable anyways, that's the reality of disability actually overlapping into everywhere. It's designed to make you lose, right? Like the capitalism, sexuality world, nobody can stay in the realm of desirable for longer than like maybe three years in their twenties. Right. And then all of a sudden right. you don't, that doesn't, you know, you have to keep working to yeah. fit this ideal. And so I realized, like, I had this freedom right out of the gates. And when I realized I had that freedom, I think you just become more confident or, like, just less, I don't know, less weighed down. And so actually shortly after that is when I did start dating people and stuff. And that was sort of a coincidence. But I had to have that realization first that where I was might look like left out and sad but where i actually was with some, this pace of intense like freedom to just be who i wanted to be and that was really liberating you right. know we're we're never gonna feel like we have the stuff we need or the looks that we need um it's yeah, always it's something something can still make us better yep something. exactly I'm Krista Tippett, and this is On Being, today with violinist and singer-songwriter Galen Lee. What about this, this song, Moment of Bliss? It's so beautiful. Oh, yeah. Um, that song, <laughs> uh, was, that's a little older one. Um, I wrote that when I was playing a lot with Alan Sparhawk, and that one is about marriage, actually. <laughs> It seemed easy, but it's so hard to do Feels too empty when we're facing the truth Facing the truth All we need to know lies at the end of our 
I think marriage is a really powerful place um, to, like, oh, I just read in a devotional recently by some monk, I don't remember who it was actually, um, that marriage is a community of two. So, like, if you're married, it's not like you're a monk in a in a sangha or whatever, like, far away in an ashram, but you are a community of two, and you can learn to enact the principles mm-hmm. of what you, what your spiritual principles in this, like, one relationship. And mm-hmm. I think that marriage, especially for me, has been a really intense growing field. I mean, again, not always good at it. It makes you face, like, the worst of yourself and the best of yourself in some cases. And it's just like, there are never a lack of opportunities to like put your spirituality into practice in a marriage. I mean, it's, oh my gosh, you know, we're in a studio apartment. We've been here since March. Like if you think we haven't argued since March, you are wrong. So like, it's just such a, it's a hugely like, there it is. There's your chance to figure out some of this spiritual stuff that you think about like here's how you do it and so that's what I mean by it seems easy but it's so hard to do it was like you read you read these spiritual practices and they resonate with you and these verses and you feel something but then to do it when your partner's like bugging the crap out of you is so different you know it's like (laughs) to put it into practice is huge and so but then um you know, we won't choose to go, so we just face the next task, humble at last. I think it's important to just yeah, humble be at like, last. That's yeah, the, exactly. That's the like, line that recurs. Yep. Yes. It's like, well, here we are. Uh, sorry, I messed that one up. Let's try mm-hmm. again, basically. Mm-hmm. And that's. I mean, I, I think marriage is a, for me. It's been really cool to think about, even though it, it can be a struggle sometimes. Um, how cool it will be, hopefully, if we make it that long in 40 years you'll know that person better than you knew anyone else ever and I just think that's so cool like but it's Mm -hmm. very much a practice ground for this more lofty stuff you read about it's like the battlefield in a a not bad way but definitely intense yeah Mm. is there maybe one other song that comes to you that feels resonant with Um, what we're talking about okay so um in 2019 I wrote a song called The Long Way Around um, and that song is about the relationships that start out really fun and light and joyful and then you come to this sort of an impasse where yeah you're like struggling with each other um, and the idea that if you make it through that place how it can really be a blessing to have that relationship in your life. Hmm. Um, There's a couple of different times where friendships have kind of come to this, like, okay, are we going to work on this or are we not going to work on this? You know? Mm -hmm. And if we don't work on it, then the understanding is you're probably not going to have each other in your lives. But the times that I have chosen to work through it have been very rewarding. That idea that, um, try not to burn the careful ties that bind us together. I just think relationships in general, and it's been amplified during COVID, are kind of, it's not like we can get through anything automatically, right? Like yeah. you have to be willing to do the, either the work or the carefulness of not wounding each other. You know, like that's like yeah. a real, a yeah. real part of being a human and 
So taking the long way around, to me, means that you don't have to necessarily resolve everything overnight, but mm-hmm. but that you can, if you work on those relationships, it can end up being a really fulfilling place to be, I guess. appreciate you calling that out to that that kind of love and i you know at a time like this where we're all everybody's stressed in their own yeah. particular way it's just true when any of us is not at our best or is feeling stressed out or vulnerable or just tired um then we're more likely to be hard on the people right when we're being hard on ourselves we're likely to be harder on people around us yeah and that's why I guess I just think a lot of this stuff in life is the long game. Um, yeah. You have to play the long game. And that's why getting help, for example, when you're depressed and just my dad always said when I broke my arms, he would always say, this too shall pass. And yeah. it's true. Like everything does eventually pass. But you so giving yourself permission to be like, well, I screwed that up but I'm playing the long game, you know? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. there's a chance to figure this out still. Yeah. Um, I love that songwriting, I think, comes from a place in your brain that you can't really access, or maybe the spiritual realm, it's hard to say. But um, yeah. I don't think you, I mean, you write the songs, but I feel like sometimes you don't really realize what they're um, saying until later. Um, I remember Roseanne Cash yeah. saying to me, you catch the songs, right? Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. I feel like they kind of just float down from mm-hmm. a place that is very mysterious to me. Um, mm-hmm. And I got to give the human race credit for like right. what we are going through. People have really done some cool things and not not even just like doing cool things, but people have endured a lot and yet... Um, I just I'm I'm proud to see how people have coped, um, even mm-hmm. the ones that are struggling, admitting that they're struggling, and then trying to figure out a way. Like, well, should I get a dog? Should I go to counseling? Like, what do I need to do? Like, I think there there is a deep resilience in the human race that that song kind of touches on. I think, um, and I've seen it during coronavirus, and it's it's a neat thing to witness, despite all the 
tragedy around us. Um, yeah. There is resilience, too, and I think that that's really cool. Yeah. If I ask you, um, I feel like this, what you just have been talking about flows into this. If I ask you, like, you know, through this life you've lived, through who you are, and, you know, in this moment, but, but also through, through the fullness of yourself, and this is a, an impossibly large question, so just, like, <laughs> how would you start to answer this? How would okay. you start to think it through? Like, what have you learned? How does your sense of, about what it means to be human, how does your sense of that keep unfolding? Well, I think that, at least for me, I can't speak for other people, of course, but for me, it feels like you're a, a spiritual being, whatever that means to you, right? Um, as a human, you have this spirit, and that I know, I, I mean, I really do feel that there is this perfect love somewhere, and you have glimpses of it like it's real deep down there but the practice of being human for me is just learning how to do that in a place that's not perfect right it's easy to think about I mean man I do little devotionals every morning and it's so easy you like you read them and and you just think like oh yes this is this is truth right Mm -hmm. and then you get out in the world and somebody like bugs you and you're like oh (laughs) whoops, <laughs> like, now I'm annoyed. And it's just this human, being a human is learning how to carry that that love and that nurturing and uh, whatever it means to treat other people with love too, to do that in real life, in actual practice. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think the point of being a human for me is. And on a broader sense, I think that that means sharing your self with the world, however that looks. It can look so different for different people. For me, I've gotten a lot of messages about music, right? Like sharing music with other people is what I feel like I should be doing with my time, but it doesn't have to be something like performative. It's just how do you bring yourself into the world in a way that expands love rather than contracting it and and just doing it in real life. I think that's what right. you get out of being a human. Real unromantic life. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I don't know the words for the song I want to sing you. I don't have a name for what I want to bring But if I could bring you peace today, my battle would be won. We don't know the outcome, how this story will unfold. We only have a moment, and it is not ours to hold. A place to fall, a time to land. We grow by grace and a tender hand. Beauty. Galen Lee's albums include Learning How to Stay and, most recently, 
The Living Room Sessions, recorded from real life at home in 2020. And she's continuing to hold virtual quarantine concerts every Sunday through lockdown on YouTube. You can find more about that and all her music and writing on her website, violinscratches.com, or visit her Patreon site, patreon.com slash Galen Lee, G-A-E-L-Y-N-N-L-E-A. is our battle has been On Being Project is Chris Hegel, Lily Percy, Lauren Dordal, Aaron Colasacco, Eddie Gonzalez, Lillian Vo, Lucas Johnson, Suzette Burley, Zach Rose, Colleen Scheck, Christiane Wartell, Julie Seipel, Gretchen Honnold, Jale Akavan, Padre Gotuma, Ben Cott, Gautam Shrikishan, and Lily Benowitz. The On Being Project is located on Dakota land. Our lovely theme music is provided and composed by Zoe Keating. And the last voice that you hear singing at the end of our show is Cameron Kinghorn. On Being is an independent, nonprofit production of the On Being Project. It is distributed to public radio stations by WNYC Studios. I created this show at American Public Media. Our funding partners include the Fetzer Institute, helping to build the spiritual foundation for a loving world. Find them at Fetzer.org. Calliopeia Foundation, dedicated to reconnecting ecology, culture, and spirituality, supporting organizations and initiatives that uphold a sacred relationship with life on Earth. Learn more at Calliopeia.org. Humanity United, advancing human dignity at home and around the world. Find out more at HumanityUnited.org, part of the Omidyar Group. The Osprey Foundation, a catalyst for empowered, healthy, and fulfilled lives. And the Lilly Endowment, an Indianapolis-based private family foundation dedicated to its founders' interests in religion, community development, and education. On Being is produced by On Being Studios in Minneapolis, Minnesota.